Jeremiah chapter 38. Shekatan, son of Matan, Gedaliah, son of Pashur, Jehuqal, son of Shalamiah, and Pashur, son of Malkijah, heard what Jeremiah was telling all the people when he said, This is what the Lord says. Whoever stays in this city will die by the sword, famine, or plague. But whoever goes over to the Babylonians will live. They will escape with their lives. They will live. And this is what the Lord says. This city will certainly be given into the hands of the army of the king of Babylon, who will capture it. Then the officials said to the king, This man should be put to death. He is discouraging the soldiers who are left in this city, as well as all the people by the things he is saying to them. This man is not seeking the good of these people, but their ruin. He is in your hands, King Zedekiah answered. The king can do nothing to oppose you. So they took Jeremiah and put him into the cistern of Malkijah, the king's son, which was in the courtyard of the guard. They lowered Jeremiah by ropes into the cistern. It had no water in it, only mud, and Jeremiah sank down into the mud. But Ebed-Melech, a Cushite, an official in the royal palace, heard that they had put Jeremiah into the cistern. While the king was sitting in the Benjamin gate, Ebed-Melech went out of the palace and said to him, My lord the king, these men have acted wickedly in all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet. They have thrown him into a cistern, where he will starve to death when there is no longer any bread in the city. Then the king commanded Ebed-Melech the Cushite, Take thirty men from here with you and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the cistern before he dies. So Ebed-Melech took the men with him and went to a room under the treasury in the palace. He took some old rags and worn-out clothes from there and let them down with ropes to Jeremiah in the cistern. Ebed-Melech the Cushite said to Jeremiah, Put these old rags and worn-out clothes under your arms to pad the ropes. Jeremiah did so, and they pulled him up with the ropes and lifted him out of the cistern. And Jeremiah remained in the courtyard of the guard. Then King Zedekiah sent for Jeremiah the prophet and had him brought to the third entrance to the temple of the Lord. I am going to ask you something, the king said to Jeremiah. Do not hide anything from me. Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, If I give you an answer, will you not kill me? Even if I did give you counsel, you would not listen to me. But King Zedekiah swore this oath secretly to Jeremiah, As surely as the Lord lives who has given us breath, I will neither kill you nor hand you over to those who want to kill you. Then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, This is what the Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel, says. If you surrender to the officers of the king of Babylon, your life will be spared and this city will not be burned down. You and your family will live. But if you will not surrender to the officers of the king of Babylon, this city will be given into the hands of the Babylonians and they will burn it down. You yourself will not escape from them. King Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, I am afraid of the Jews who have gone over to the Babylonians. For the Babylonians may hand me over to them, and they will ill-treat me. They will not hand you over, Jeremiah replied. Obey the Lord by doing what I tell you. Then it will go well with you, and your life will be spared. But if you refuse to surrender, 
This is what the Lord has revealed to me. All the women left in the palace of the king of Judah will be brought out to the officials of the king of Babylon. These women will say to you, They misled you and overcame you, those trusted friends of yours. Your feet are sunk in the mud. Your friends have deserted you. All your wives and children will be brought out to the Babylonians. You yourself will not escape from their hands, but will be captured by the king of Babylon, and this city will be burned down. Then Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, Do not let anyone know about this conversation, or you may die. If the officials hear that I talked with you, and they come to you and say, Tell us what you said to the king and what the king said to you. Do not hide it from us, or we will kill you. Then tell them, I was pleading with the king not to send me back to Jonathan's house to die there. All the officials did come to Jeremiah and question him, and he told them everything the king had ordered him to say. So they said no more to him, for no one had heard his conversation with the king. And Jeremiah remained in the courtyard of the guard until the day Jerusalem was captured. It's a bit better. Um, let's pray before we think about this passage from Jeremiah. Heavenly Father, we've been thinking about the book of Jeremiah for, for quite some time now. And for some of it, it may just be becoming just a little bit wearing, a little bit depressing, a little bit dark and a little bit difficult. Um, Heavenly Father, we pray that as we look at this part of Jeremiah, this part of your word, that you'll help us to see how... This experience is relevant to our experience. You'd help us to learn uh, messages that are going to be helpful to us uh, as we seek to live for you here in Hove uh, a long time after the time of Jeremiah. And Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd help each of us, including myself, uh, to understand your word and to apply it to our lives. Amen. Amen. It's um, eight. It's 587 B.C., and things are not going well for Jeremiah. Lots of people hate him, and some people want to kill him. The truth is, it's not going terribly well for anybody in 587 BC. The city of Jerusalem is under siege, surrounded by the Babylonian army of King Nebuchadnezzar. Ten years earlier, uh, Judah had attempted to free itself from Babylonian rule. It hadn't gone well. Nebuchadnezzar had captured the city. He'd deposed a king, and he'd put a puppet king, Zedekiah, in his place. But no one learns anything, do they? Ten years later, Zedekiah is persuaded that it would be a good idea to rebel against Babylon again. This was not for want of warnings. God, speaking through Jeremiah, had consistently warned Zedekiah and everyone in Jerusalem that this was a bad idea, that it wasn't going to end well. But nobody learns anything. Siege of Jerusalem lasts 18 months. And for a while it looked as if things might be going well for Judah. The king of Egypt sent an army marching north to come and confront the Babylonians. Rescue seemed to be coming from Egypt. But it didn't last. The Babylonians broke off the siege of Jerusalem to see off the Egyptian army, which they did without too much trouble. And they came back and resumed the siege of Jerusalem. And that's where we've got to now, the end game. 
the time when it must become increasingly obvious to every single person living in Jerusalem that this was only going to end one way and it wasn't going to end in a good way if you were living in the city of Jerusalem. That's the background to where we are in Jeremiah chapter 38. And in this chapter, we have the opportunity to think about three people. Very different. Jeremiah was a a, a prisoner. Ebed-Melech, he was a government official of some sort. Zedekiah was a king. Very different positions in life, very different uh, life experiences. But I guess they had one thing in common. The thing that they had in common was the fact that they were having to face the challenge of taking God seriously in difficult times. Now, I mean, it's easy to obey God and follow God when things are going well. But when things are difficult, it's very, very different. And believe me, if you were living in Jerusalem at that time, you were going through difficult times. So so how did they respond? Well, let's start with Jeremiah. Jeremiah had already been imprisoned. Uh, He had had been imprisoned in a a makeshift prison, and then he was transferred to the courtyard of the guard. Perhaps that was the palace guard, the area where they hung out. Uh, But that wasn't enough for some key people in Judah, in Jerusalem. They wanted him dead. And in the opening verses of our reading, you remember that they decide that Jeremiah is a traitor, that he should die. Zedekiah doesn't have the backbone to stop them. And they, they drop him into a cistern. Now, we're, we're not talking about toilet cisterns here. Uh, we're actually talking about uh, large water reservoirs. Just about, here's a picture of a couple of them uh, that, that have been excavated. They were quite large, sort of bulb-shaped spaces that were normally dug down into the ground with just a narrow opening at the top to stop water evaporation. And Jeremiah is dumped into the middle of one of these things. Um, putting Jeremiah into one of those meant that rather than executing him, what they'd actually done is they'd isolated him. It wasn't really easy to have a conversation with people when you're at the bottom of one of those things. Uh, And more to the point, they've actually destined him to what's going to be a long, lingering death. It must have been terrifying for him. And for what we know later on in the chapter, while Jeremiah is rescued, what sort of effect do you think that sort of experience has on a person? How does it change them? We know that Jeremiah's already had a rough time. In chapter 26, we read about another prophet, another faithful prophet of God who was murdered. Jeremiah himself had faced the threat of death death more than once. Um, he'd been uh, ridiculed, he'd been beaten up, he'd been put in the stocks, imprisoned in the house of somebody who hated him, condemned to a slow, lingering death. What kind of effect does that have on a person? Well, if we look at the second half of our reading, the second half of chapter 38, we perhaps get a sense of, how Jeremiah did cope with that situation. As you remember, he's rescued from the cistern uh, and Zedekiah asks to speak with with Jeremiah. And if we read through this conversation, uh, you can see that there are perhaps two characteristics that mark Jeremiah out. And the first one is that Jeremiah is careful. Uh, You can see this both at the start and the end of his conversation with Zedekiah. Jeremiah's no fool. 
He knows that answering Zedekiah's questions is dangerous and probably pointless. And so right at the start of his conversation, he says to Jeremiah, Zedekiah, if I give you an answer, will you not kill me? Even if I did give you counsel, you'd not listen to me. What's the point of answering your questions, Zedekiah? You're not going to like the answer I give you. If I'm lucky, you'll just ignore me. If I'm unlucky, you'll kill me too. And Jeremiah was right to be careful because we know that Zedekiah could make promises, but very often he wasn't really in a position to keep those promises. He might have been king, but that didn't mean to say that what he said actually went in the Jerusalem of his time. So why is Jeremiah careful? Was it that he knew that God wanted him to live and continue his ministry to God's people? God was not calling him to be a martyr. He wanted him to continue being a minister. And because of this, Jeremiah needed to be wise. In Matthew 10:16, Jesus told his disciples, I'm sending you out like sheep amongst wolves, therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Somebody once said the trouble is that a lot of Christians, they're as shrewd as doves and as harmless as snakes. You know, some people get it into their heads that, you know, if you're speaking the truth, it's okay to to do it in an aggressive way that gets everybody's backs up. It's okay to do it in an insensitive way. It's okay to do it in an offensive way. So long as you're speaking biblical truth, it doesn't matter how you treat people and what you do. You can be as insensitive and offensive as you like, or they, they speak at a bad time. And to the wrong people at the wrong time. Now Jeremiah was willing to talk to Zedekiah. But he wasn't willing to talk to Zedekiah's officials. Why? Because it would have done no good. They wouldn't have listened. And they would have killed him. We know they would have killed him. Because they wanted to kill him. Being a martyr. Well being at least the sort of martyr that dies. Wasn't plan. Part of God's plan for Jeremiah. Do you remember what Paul says in chapter 1 of Philippians? I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Paul had a rough time of it too. He knew physical danger. He experienced physical violence. There must have been times when the idea of being with Jesus must have been incredibly tempting. You know, being in heaven must have been much better than many of the experiences that Paul had. And Jeremiah was just the same. As well as all the ill treatment he was facing, uh, we know that he really struggled with the message that God wanted him to declare. You know, he wasn't one of these guys who just was never happier when he was telling people bad news. He really felt the pain of the message that he was sharing with people in Jerusalem. He didn't find it enjoyable sharing the truth that God had asked him to share with people. I'm sure there's a part of him who wouldn't have been minded taking out of the situation for good and being with God. But God still had work for him to do. And like Paul, it was more necessary that he remained in the body. So he was careful. He was careful about the way in which he handled himself. But that doesn't mean to say that he wasn't also faithful. 
And you can do the, same, the two at the same time. Zedekiah's question is a simple one. Don't hide anything from me, he says. Well, that's straightforward enough. And Jeremiah doesn't. If you look at the start of the chapter, and if you look at the first thing that Zedekiah says to, the first thing that Jeremiah says to Zedekiah, it's exactly the same. If you surrender to the officers of the king of Babylon, your life will be spared and the city will not be burned down. You and your family will live. In spite of everything that's happened to him, Jeremiah continues to say what God has said to him faithfully and clearly. He's not afraid to spell out what the implications of ignoring God are, but he's not without humanity. You know, very often we get it into our heads that prophets are sort of wide-eyed characters who shout a lot. But look at verse 20. Obey the Lord by doing what I tell you. Then it will go well with you and your life will be spared. These are the words of a man who wants Zedekiah to come to his senses and put his trust in God. Jeremiah is faithful not just to God's word, but also to God's heart, whose overriding desire is that men and women will find rescue and forgiveness in God. I remember once hearing a Christian leader talking about God's will and he made the point that, you know, God's will for our lives may not always be unpleasant. Hardly a revolutionary thought, but he thought it was important. It's true also. But nowhere does God promise that Christians are going to have an easy ride in this life. Following God may not always be easy. It may not always be comfortable. And to suggest anything else is to fall into the false teaching of people who promote ideas like the so-called prosperity gospel. Or have this notion that really uh, we ought to be living in a theocratic state of some sort where the church call all the shots. You know, uh, the Bible doesn't encourage us to believe that, you know, for individual Christians and for the church, things are always going to go well. And you need to look no further than the life of Jeremiah or the life of Paul for the proof of this. And so many other people we read about in the Bible who were called to be faithful to God in difficult times. And I guess many would say today that we live in a place and time where perhaps it's difficult to be a Christian. A time when clever people ridicule Christian faith. A time when powerful people ignore Christian belief. A time when ordinary people don't seem terribly interested in knowing anything much about Jesus. I guess a time when it could be so very, very easy to be so careful that we never say anything or do anything to speak out for our Christian faith, our Christian commitment, our Christian trust. Jeremiah was careful, and we need to be careful because we live in a difficult and dangerous world where things can go badly, and sometimes we've got nobody but ourselves to blame. But we also need to be faithful and clear in what we say. You know, if we follow Jesus, true, we may not face the challenges that Jeremiah or Paul faced. But if we follow Jesus in our family, in our work, school, at college, wherever we happen to be, there will be times when being faithful to Jesus will be tough. Times when you'll say something something like this to yourself, you know, I really don't want to be here. You know, that's what it's actually going to be like in practice. Now, 
you know, you can't generalize about how you should respond when you feel like that because sometimes there may be times when the right thing is to withdraw from the situation. But one of the things we need to keep remembering is that God does need people in difficult situations. God does does need people who, yes, will be careful, but above everything else, won't flinch away from being faithful to God in a difficult situation. But what about that second person in difficult times, Ebed-Melech? We know virtually nothing about Ebed-Melech. The only reference to him in the Bible or anyone else, as far as I know, is in this chapter and in the next one. Um, He seems to have been, however, the only person in Jerusalem who was concerned enough about Jeremiah to do anything about the situation. As we see from verse 9, he was the only person who saw the plot to kill Jeremiah for what it was, a wicked action. And he was the only man willing to put his life on the line and try to do something about it. And what's perhaps really interesting about Ebed-Melech is that he wasn't a local. If you look at verse 7, you'll see that he came from possibly north, uh, north, southern Egypt, more likely Ethiopia. Uh, probably, he probably was an Ethiopian. And that kind of begs the question of what was he doing in Jerusalem? How had he ended up in the royal service? Maybe he had no choice in the matter. But I don't suppose, given that background, he had one of the top jobs in royal service. And yet this man, a foreigner, possibly looked down upon, is the only person who cares enough about the prophet to risk trouble by saving him. God is using an insignificant person to bring about Jeremiah's rescue. As you remember, he goes to Zedekiah, obtains the king's permission to rescue him, and shows practical good sense in getting Jeremiah out of that cistern and into somewhere where he'll be safe, well, as safe as anyone was going to be in Jerusalem at that time, um, as the effects of the siege became more and more severe. Now, why does he do it? I mean, you know, as a foreigner, perhaps more than anybody else, he could have shrugged his shoulder and said, well, it's not my problem. Why does he do it? He can't have done it because he thought it was a good career move. No one would have accused him as being wise as wise as a serpent for doing this. He was running the risk of annoying the king, and it's safe to say that he was guaranteeing the anger of the key people who wanted Jeremiah dead. So why did he do it? The only answer has to be that he was an individual who recognized that pleasing God and protecting the prophet was more important than pleasing the rich and powerful around him. He was somebody who had a unique opportunity to do something significant for God, and he was willing to do it. Perhaps that was the only opportunity he had in his life to do something significant for God, something that would really, really make a difference. And he took it. And there's an interesting footnote to his story. The siege of Jerusalem ended badly for many people in Jerusalem, but right at the end of the next chapter, uh, there's a message that God gives to Ebed-Melech through, through Jeremiah. It's in chapter 39 and from verse 15 onwards. God told Jeremiah to pass on this message to him. And if we read from verse 17, what God had to say to Ebed-Melech was, but I will rescue you. On that day, you will not be given into the hands of those you fear. 
I will save you. You will not fall by the sword. You will escape with your life. Why? Because you trust in me, declares the Lord. You know, Ebed-Melech almost certainly didn't know this at the time. He may have felt that he was taking an enormous risk, and he was. But in reality, he was not being stupid. He was guaranteeing his future. It's a reminder that God honors those who honor him. God doesn't forget those who are faithful to him in difficult times. As Jesus puts it again in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 19, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. What Jesus is saying is that, you know, if as a result of being faithful to God, we find ourselves having to make sacrifices, or if we find that things are taken away from us that we value, God will still honor that, just like he honored Ebed Malik's willingness to take a risk in order to be faithful to God. And so we come to the final person highlighted in chapter 38, living in a difficult time, Zedekiah. How's he coping with the situation? Not well. I suppose the one thing that can be said in his favor is that he does seem to have a genuine interest in hearing what God has to say to him through Jeremiah. He'd made that effort to find out what was God was saying through Jeremiah before. And here he comes back to Jeremiah, wanting to know what God has to say. The trouble is that he's not willing to do God's word. He's interested in listening to it. He wants to know what God has to say, but he's not able to actually do anything about it. Why is that? Well, in his case, it's simply because he seems to be afraid of anyone anyone and everyone, so afraid that there's no space in his life left for faith and trust in God. Now, it's obvious that he's afraid of the Babylonians. They're besieging his city. More to the point, uh, they put him in power in Jerusalem. He's now rebelled. So I don't suppose it took all that much imagination in his part to figure out what they were likely to do to him. You may have felt that some of the comments that Jeremiah makes to Zedekiah in the middle of his reply to the questions seem harsh and difficult. All that speaking about his wives and his children being given over to the Babylonians. Uh, You may have thought that seemed harsh and difficult. Jeremiah wasn't telling Zedekiah a single thing that he didn't already know. That's what the Babylonians did when they defeated a nation. That wasn't a prophecy. That was just current affairs. All Jeremiah was doing was spelling out to Zedekiah what Zedekiah almost certainly knew in as much detail as as, as Jeremiah did. And Zedekiah was right to be frightened of the Babylonians, and he was. But Zedekiah just wasn't afraid of the Babylonians. He was afraid of his own officials. Do you remember right at the beginning of the reading, verse 5, you have that pitiful comment uh, when his officials want to kill Jeremiah. He is in your hands. The king can do nothing to oppose you. What sort of king is that? You know. He was a puppet of the Babylonians. He was a puppet of his own officials. A puppet in every sense of the word. He was frightened of the uh, of his own officials. 
people who presumably he'd put in positions of responsibility to start with. He was afraid about people who he hadn't actually met. He was afraid that he was handed over to the Babylonians. The Babylonians would hand him over to the, the Jewish community, which had gone over to the side of the Babylonians. He was afraid of everybody. The Babylonians, fellow Jews, his officials. This man was terrified. And it seems that no amount of warning or persuasion from Jeremiah can help Zedekiah look beyond those fears to trust in God's promises. Zedekiah was stuck in a morass of fear. Uh, Jeremiah uses an interesting phrase when speaking to Zedekiah in verse 22. He tells Zedekiah, your feet are stuck in the mud. Now, do you think we're supposed to make a connection with Jeremiah's own experience of being put in that cistern and being stuck in the mud then? Verse 6 tells us that the cistern had no water in it, only mud. And Jeremiah sank down into that mud. Jeremiah was stuck literally. It's one of the reasons why it took so much effort and care to get him out of that cistern. But Zedekiah was just as stuck. What had happened to Jeremiah physically had happened to Zedekiah politically, militarily, spiritually. He was stuck in his fears. And his misgivings and his activity and his, his anxieties. Someone has once said that the opposite of faith is not unbelief, but fear. Now you may argue with the logic of that, but there's a lot of truth in that, isn't there? You know, one of the biggest obstacles to faith is not our intellectual objections, but our fears. What are we most afraid of? Well, in Zedekiah's case, it was the Babylonians. It was the Jewish deserters. It was his officials. He was far more afraid of them than he was of God. And here is the irony of it all. The Babylonians wanted Zedekiah to be afraid of him. I guess his officials wanted him to be afraid of him. The only person who truly did not want Zedekiah to be afraid of him was God. God wanted him to have faith and through faith, real confidence for the future. Now, we're not in a city under siege. We're not surrounded by people who want to kill us, but have we no fears? What are we afraid of? Our fear of being laughed at? Our fear of, not people, of people not wanting to be around us? Our fear of what it might do to our prospects? Our fear of how it might impact on our pleasures and, and where, we take, where we take our pleasures and our comforts. Well, a lot of things to be afraid of. And God wants to rescue us from all of them. Just like he wanted to rescue Zedekiah if only Zedekiah had been willing to take God at his word and trust him. I guess Jeremiah was afraid a lot. I would have been. Don't think he's any different. I guess Ebed Melech was afraid as well. But they didn't let their fears stop them being faithful to God. But Zedekiah did. Now for some people perhaps it won't be fear that gets in the way of being faithful to God. It, it might be something else. And maybe that's something you'd like to think about when we come to our prayer time. Maybe it's something you'd like to think about after this service and ask yourself, you know, if it's not fear... Is it something else that's getting in the way and preventing me from being faithful to God? 
three people living in difficult times. Jeremiah, a man with a great deal to be afraid of, but faithful to God in speaking God's truth. Ebed Malik, a man who trusted God at a key time when God needed him to act. He took risks, but was faithful. Or Zedekiah, a man so overcome by fears that he couldn't trust God. Of those three, Jeremiah survived. Ebed Malik survived. They had a life after the fall of Jerusalem. Zedekiah was lost. And we face the same options today. Will we be faithful to God? Will we trust God? Or will we give way to something, our fears perhaps, or something else that stop us trusting God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would give them the wisdom to know and understand ourselves. To actually understand those things in our life, those things in our situation that get in the way of trusting you and following you. And Heavenly Father, we pray you'd give us the courage that you gave to Jeremiah, the courage that you gave to Ebed Malik to overcome our fears, to reject the things that get in the way, and to recognize that in trusting you, in being faithful to you, is the only place where we're going to find safety and certainty and security. Amen.